big beat manifesto goes, big beats are the best, get high all the time. Right. At the time, it felt like a much more all-encompassing philosophy. This is outrageous. This is contagious. Dale B. Credit, fuck off, please. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to the L Dude Brothers podcast. This is Lee, and I represent the color red. And my name's Sean, and I represent the color yellow. And today we're going to be talking about Peep Show Season 2, Episode 1, which is called Dance Class, originally airing on 12 November of 2004. Yeah, I'm, I'm super excited to get into season two of Peep Show. Um, season one, like, actually ended up being way better than what I remembered it to be. There were some, like, pretty good episodes in there. So I'm glad that we watched season two, uh, one again. And But I'm definitely looking forward to getting into season two and some of the later seasons. You know, and especially when you watch it the way that we do, where we have to take notes and do it analytically for the podcast, I think that... I think we got a lot more out of watching season one again. Yeah, definitely. I definitely agree with you. Like, there's certain things that you just maybe not would have not noticed. Like, you know, Jeremy creeping around when he's trying to pepper spray super hands. Yeah. And, you know, just little stuff like that, which, uh, you know, season one is definitely, um, it's it's a good ground base for the series if you are truly interested in watching the whole thing. However, I, I do think that if you're a first-timer getting into Peep Show, this is really the episode that you probably want to start with. Yeah, this was... Uh, uh, Dance Class was the first episode I ever watched. Um, you know, I was hanging out with you um, in Kentucky, and you were like, oh, hey, have you ever seen this, you know, this show Peep Show? And I honestly hadn't. And, you know, you, you played... I think we watched uh, Dance Class, and Jeremy Makes It. And I was just, like, pretty much hooked at that point. And at that point in time, my job was pretty slow. So I was watching a lot of Netflix at work. And I pretty much just binge-watched the entire freaking series in, like, probably under a week. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it's it's easy when there, you know, there's only... But, but yeah, yeah, I mean, to, at that point yeah. in time, there's only, you know, 40-some-odd episodes, 48 episodes. So, you know, 26 minutes, it's really not that much, you know, really not that much time. Sure. Um, but, you know, the the last episode of season eight had just aired on Christmas Eve in 2012. And I, I remember, like, the first time I watched Quan Talking 2, and it just came to the end. And I was like, oh, okay, well, I guess I just have to wait again. <laughs> and in between Quan Talking 2 and uh, the William Morris years, I watched the show several times. And um, this is really like when the show ended up becoming like such a big, you know, a thing that I loved. And, you know, unfortunately, it is not on Netflix anymore, which is where I had first started watching it. But it is still on Hulu, so I still get to enjoy it. Absolutely. And of course, you can buy them through, you know, Amazon and iTunes and all that kind of good thing. Yeah, proxy service. You can actually just watch it straight off of Channel 4's website. Huh. Interesting. Yeah, that was how I watched all of Season 9 was uh, I had a, I had a, like a VPN that basically said I was from England and I had to make up, uh, I used, uh, uh, I just had like a made up address. I just Googled like a random business in England and I used <laughs> that as my address when I signed up for Channel 4's website. Well, and you know, the thing is, um, I watched season nine, I think eight and nine on uh, YouTube 
because somebody had uploaded them all onto YouTube, and I think they're still up there. But uh, I just like to watch it on Hulu or Netflix or whatever, so that if there are any royalties that get realized from that, that you know all these guys are still getting paid because, I mean, they deserve it. This is just an amazing show. Yeah, yeah, I I agree. And uh, this episode I think is really funny, and it's also the first episode with the iconic flagpole sitta. Uh, intro as opposed to plip plop which is what we've had for all of series one yeah glad that uh, plip plop is gone however you know i've always felt that it made a good transition piece between scene to scene and they they use it for the rest of the series as in that fashion but i just hated it as an intro yeah uh, i did too i i feel like uh you know the lyrics especially um from the part of flagpole sitter that they use is really good it describes the two characters perfectly I think so. But uh, do you want to go ahead and just dive into this thing here? Or? Um, I watched uh, I watched something tonight that I just want to talk, briefly talk about, but we'll we'll talk about it after the the show is over. So people that don't want to listen to me talk about Japanese <laughs> wrestling don't have to. Well, that's all right. Everybody should want to listen to Japanese wrestling. It's fantastic. But for now, let's go to Apollo House, where Jeremy is spying on Tony through the peephole in the door. Yeah, and this was the first, you know scene that i had ever watched and we've got jeremy spying through the door on tony and mark just kind of surprises jeremy and he's like what what are you doing jeremy what are you doing and um (laughs) jeremy's just like i'm watching her rummage mark i'm watching her rummage i think i love her yeah because she's rummaging through her purse to try to find her keys and uh, apparently between season 1 and season 2 Tony has returned to Tony. Jeremy has been cut completely out of the picture. Yeah, and just to clarify cuz this is going to come up several times in this episode, Tony's husband is also named Tony. So right. we're gonna... and, and we've mentioned that before but the you know just it's going to be a little bit confusing cuz we're talking about two Tonys. That's too many Tonys. Yeah, yeah, we're going to try to to maximize the confusion as well. Yes, uh, I think that's a good thing. So, uh, anyway, Jeremy uh, says a line to Mark to where, you know, they're hoarding all the happiness. Yeah, and and Mark just, this is one of the underappreciated lines of the series when Mark just goes, that's not how love works, Jeremy. And then in in his interior monologue, he's just like, it completely is. <laughs> but in the next scene, we are at JLB credit with Mark, and Mark knows that the secret to love is to play dirty, and he decides that he's going to attempt to break into Sophie's email. Yeah, and again, this is was my intro. This was kind of my introduction to Mark, and I was like, "Wow, what a creepy dude!" Like just, <laughs> you know, just hacking into her email. Like, oh my god, this is so creepy, and he. He is initially unsuccessful in in hacking Sophie's email, and he's just kind of thinking, you know, uh, about you know what he can do to to get into Sophie's emails, right? But Mark is at the same time happy but confused because personnel had handed out a bunch of uh, party, uh, what he calls happy hats. Because uh, today is the day that Alan Johnson is taking over the office, and who couldn't be happy about that? Yeah, I'm, I'm super excited to have to have Johnson back in the in the series. Like his character is is easily like one of my favorite non main characters. Just 
you can never have enough Johnson. No, no, no. You can never have enough Johnson. He's, I, I just want to take. I want to take all the Johnson I possibly can. Yeah, yeah. He is. His character is just so so fucking funny. Like just the things he says. I mean, he's such a. Yeah. Anyways, he's he's amazing. Yeah. So, anyway, we get to the party, I guess, where Alan Johnson is announcing that, yep, I'm in control of this branch now. And, uh, you know, it starts out very jovial. However, uh, immediately he goes into a, a kind of his own little monologue. What this department needs right now is a swift kick up the ass so hard it goes up through your digest- digestive tract and wiggles out of your mouth like a little leather tongue. Graphic. Yeah, and Johnson is not fucking around here, and Mark is just thinking to himself, yeah, fuck the carrot in the stick. He's making the stick out of the carrot. And Mark, <laughs> Mark, with his obsession with, like, fascist dictators, is probably, like, pretty pleased about having a fascist dictator, like, take over his department. Not that... Well, I would think, I would think so. Not that Johnson is a fascist, but, like, he is definitely, you know, rules with a... He rules his department with an iron fist. I was going to say the exact same thing if you weren't going to. But, uh, you know, Mark clearly still has a little bit of a man crush on Johnson and realizes, you know, we need, I need to be careful. There's man love and there's business love and never the twain shall meet. Now, I don't know about business love, uh, but sure. Yeah. Yeah, I don't. <laughs> I mean, I've I, think, ever... I think he's just—he's just using that to justify his crush on Johnson. Still, I think. Yeah, I've—I've I've never had a business crush on somebody. I've had a work wife. I don't know if that counts, but you know, yeah, I don't know. But Mark, uh, at this point, you know, the party is. Uh, you know, starting to kick up a little bit and he decides he's going to use a little bit of social engineering because he realizes that he is a mutant who cannot talk to people normally. Yeah. What I actually like about the scene is he, he actually tries to talk to her normally where he's just like, Hey Sophie, I was hoping we could have a conversation. And Sophie is just, she's got her company issued happy hat and she is just doing her (laughs) own thing. And Mark just realizes that, the best thing for him to do is just going to be to, like, ask her questions and try to social engineer the fuck out of her. Right. And, you know, at this point, Mark is still, you know, his ties on. He's got his happy hat on straight and just trying to trying to be Mark. And uh, apparently he says, so, Sophie, what was your the, your first pet's name? Because, you know, that's a common security question on the internet, right? When you sign up for an account. Yeah. So, uh, apparently she had a pet named Gerbil, the gerbil. And, uh, Jeff immediately just steps in, cuts Mark off and starts dancing with Sophie. Yeah. And Mark has this, Mark has this like funny line where he's like, basically like, fuck you, Jeff. You won't be laughing when I come into this place with a Kalishnikov and 200 rounds of ammo and just start shooting up the place. Yeah. It's, it's a little bit dark. So then, as Mark's kind of walking away, he chides himself for thinking about shooting up the office. Obviously, that's never a good thing. And goes back to trying to hack Sophie's email with this newfound information. Yeah, and I like I like when he tries to enter the password and the password's incorrect. And he's just like, ah, cock knobs. <laughs> yeah. So, naturally, you know, we're talking about, you know, 2004. So, you know, there weren't these uh, cryptic requirements for passwords back then you know like you could just type in anything so his first thought is well what's her favorite tv show yeah and 
I don't know why I find this joke so funny, but he's like, sex in the city, and he tries sex in the city, and it doesn't work, and he tries SATC, and that doesn't work, and then he's like, maybe she thinks it's sex in the city, which is what I always thought the fucking show was called, like, yeah, I always thought the show was called Sex in the City. I didn't I didn't realize it was Sex and the City. I always thought it was Sex in the City. And yeah. that's what it ends up being. Yeah, and good for him. So he is scrolling through email and finds an email called Mark versus Jeff that catches his eye and uh, discovers that Sophie thinks that he's a little bit uptight and, and would like to hang out with him as friends. But uh, Mark kind of takes this internally as... Well, I need to start being normal, relaxed Mark instead of uptight, normal, like, actual Mark. Yeah, and this this is where, like, Mark's storyline kind of kicks off with Mark being a normal, excuse me, with Mark's being a normal, relaxed person um, while secretly being, like, uptight as fuck. So back at the JLB party, Mark has taken off his suit jacket and unbuttoned the top button of his shirt. And his company-issued party hat is kind of on the side of his head. And Sophie kind of, like, you can tell she doesn't really want to. But she asks to finish the conversation from earlier. Yeah, and um, Mark is just, like, moving and grooving. He's, like, attempting to dance and stuff like that. He's putting, like, breadsticks in his ears and, like, just all sorts of weird stuff. And he's, like... Hey, I'd really like to just hang out and do matey things. And uh, he suggests a movie, but Sophie has other ideas and suggests they go to a dance class. Which is probably Mark's worst nightmare. And I think he actually says it's his worst nightmare. Yeah, later, late when he actually gets to Rainbow yeah. Rhythms. I just, I don't see Mark dancing. But we get to see Mark dancing, that's the great thing. So, back at Apollo House, Jeremy, Tony, and Tony are all in Tony's apartment, if that makes sense. Yeah, and Tony and Tony are very close to each other on the couch, and Tony has her hand on Tony's leg. So, there's a definite awkwardness between the three of them, and it's, I mean, you could cut it with a knife, the tension. And uh, Tony asks Tony to get a biscotti from the kitchen, and Tony looks unhappy about it, but he, he goes and gets the biscotti. Yeah, now, at this point... Tony is alone with Jeremy, and Tony mentions that the Brand New Heavies are releasing an album, and I have personally never listened to the Brand New Heavies, um, but they had an album that came out in 2004 called All About the Funk, and it, it technically came out before the episode actually aired, but when they were filming the episode, I imagine it would have still been unreleased when they were filming the episode. Yeah, probably. I mean, to, to get an album released takes a little bit of time, but at this point, Jeremy's had enough. He doesn't want to hear about the brand new heavies, and he slides over to Tony's couch and just starts professing his love to her. Yeah, and he's just like, I love you, 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 I fucking love you. And then Tony points out that Tony is walking back in the room, and uh, Tony seems to be aware that something was happening, but doesn't really know, you know... Uh, what had happened right so at that point uh, Jeremy asks for a ginger nut and Tony once again goes to the kitchen leaving Tony and Jeremy alone but Tony definitely realizes there's something going on and when he comes back Tony is very upfront with Tony and says well Jeremy loves me yeah and then Tony 
male Tony has this this funny monologue about how his wife is a moth and um, or she's a, she's a light. Oh yeah, she's and, a light. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, let's just go ahead and listen to it because I think this little part is funny. What's going on, Tony? Jeremy loves me. No, I I didn't actually. Of course you do. You're a moth, sucked in by the light. I've been banging my head for 15 years against that beautiful light bulb, and I wouldn't change a day. She's the beautiful poison, my friend. God, this is such a mess. It's fantastic. (laughs) I mean, I can see how people would would be drawn to Tony. I I think she's terrible, and I'm so happy that this is like the last time we see her. Well, we see her one more time. So yeah, yeah. But uh, I'm glad that this is one of the last times. But uh, meanwhile, Tony just stands up and starts dancing to the song "Bitch" by Meredith Brooks, which I didn't know was an international hit, but certainly it was on repeat on radio over here. Yeah. Oh my God, I'm so oh, so sick of this song. Yeah. Like I still can't listen to it. Yeah. This now this next scene where they're actually at Rainbow Rhythms is so goddamn funny. Like, and unfortunately, a lot of the humor in this episode is visual, so we probably are not going to have as many like monologues and stuff like that as we normally do. But a lot of this episode is, is visual and I highly recommend if you are listening to this podcast and have never watched this episode, um, one, I don't know why you're listening to this podcast, but you know, I've never watched Seinfeld and I listen to the Seinfeld podcast. Um, <laughs> but two, you really, really, really owe it to yourself to watch this scene. Cause God damn, David Mitchell is so funny in both of the dance scenes. Absolutely. So at this point, Mark is dressed up really nice. And Sophie's like, okay, well, the changing room's right over there. So why don't you go ahead and change? But Mark says, well, isn't this salsa class? Like, I, I feel like I'm dressed okay for salsa class. And she says, no, 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 this isn't salsa dancing. This is rainbow rhythms. Yeah. And she says it's quite full on. And I think the other important thing to mention, too, is that Jeremy is also with them. Jeremy has come to Rainbow Rhythms with Mark. And originally, I had a note in here that said, why the fuck is Jeremy here? But thankfully, Lee pointed out that Mark actually um, does explain why Jeremy is there. And he says, you know, I'm here to kind of help you get your mind off off Tony. Right. Right, because it, it, like it's a it's a throwaway line kind of, and it happens really quick, so you might not necessarily pick that up. Because otherwise, you know, you wonder like, what would Jeremy be doing there? But yeah. uh, Jeremy Jeremy finds his purpose there. So anyway, um, you know, no, no, uh, it's Rainbow Rhythms. He looks in the gym, and people are stretching out with all this weird new agey music playing. Yeah, yeah, and uh, he just is. <laughs> Like, Mark realizes that he is in hell, and he doesn't know, you know, what he's going to do next. Right. But he's going to try to dig deep, because he's still trying to woo Sophie. I mean, he looks completely defeated, and uh, during the dance scene, he's just kind of swaying back and forth and rocking his shoulders. And, I mean, I'll be honest, like, I'm a basic white guy that's kind of how i dance yeah that's that's 100 percent how i dance too i remember one time i was at a 
like one of the few times in my life that I've actually been to a club, I had somebody come up to me and was like, are you capable of moving your shoulders and your hips together at the same time? <laughs> and I was just like, no, no, that's impossible for me. I either get hips or shoulders, but never hips and shoulders. <laughs> so, uh, you know, Jeremy just looks at him and says, Mark is such a honky and thinks that he's the alphaist male in the room, as he says. Yeah, and then this, the the instructor for for uh, Rainbow Rhythms, I mean, if you basically Googled hippie, like, that's what she looks like. She's got, like, kind of the bandana on her head, like, her hair's pulled back. I, correct me if I'm wrong, she's got, like, a braid with, like, beads in it or some shit like that, yeah. right? It's she's she's like a caricature of what you would expect, like a gypsy. And I don't want to offend anybody because I know that that's still a thing. So um, but uh, that is what I think about. Yeah. Yeah. And the instructor basically at this point tells everybody to find a partner and Mark already has his partner. However, there is uh, somebody else dancing with Sophie at this point. But. Now we get to meet Nancy for the first time. Yes, and Nancy is played by Rachel Blanchard. Very beautiful. She's uh, best known for playing Cher in the television version of Clueless. And uh, just going back, a little nostalgia, she was also in Are You Afraid of the Dark? Yeah, and she was actually nominated for an award for Are You Afraid of the Dark, but but did not did not win it. And yeah. Nancy is Jeremy's new love interest, and she's kind of similar to Tony in that she really kind of drives the plot for this season, but then she kind of steps back a little bit. Except she's not as horrible as Tony. Oh, no. Like, Nancy is horrible in her own, like, very sweet, like, very beautiful ways. Right. And it's worth mentioning, Nancy is American. Oh, yes, so, yeah, that is actually a good point to mention. Yes. Nancy is American, so I guess she's there on a some kind of travel visa or something like that. But she's been there for a while, you can tell. And Jeremy's first thoughts about her is that she's so perfect that she has to be a trans woman. Yeah. So Jeremy, Jeremy looks her up and down and is like, nope, nope, she's definitely a cis woman. Yeah, I... The actual line I just have trouble saying because I have transgendered friends and it, like, it's a terrible... Yeah, it bothers me, too, It bothers so. me, so... Uh, if you've watched the episode, if you've seen the scene, you know exactly what he says. But I think that that I, I mean, I think that it's funny that he just automatically assumes that she's trans because she's so perfect. Yeah, but, uh, you know, he turns on his charisma and dances with Nancy, pulls her close. And then uh, Mark uh, is kind of by himself and sees somebody else dancing with Sophie and he goes to cut in. Yeah, and I love the this scene goddamn cracks me up, too, where this this very awkward guy like probably more awkward than mark like tries to dance with mark and mark is just like having none of this guy's shit like he doesn't want to dance with this guy he wants nothing to do with this guy he just wants to go dance with sophie and he just pretty much like kind of pushes past the guy and uh then ends up like dancing with nancy right i mean there, there's a little bit of a verbal exchange between him and this guy you know he's like half balding wearing a tank top I and mean, he's just a kind of a strange looking guy yeah. and uh he definitely uh you could tell the other guy felt very put out yeah. by what mark said to him yeah so um mark uh 
at this point cuts in and uh, you know tells the gentleman like, "Well, I'm here with her. I'm here with her. I'm here with her." And Mark tries to get Sophie to leave, but Sophie's still very into it. Yeah. And then at this point, he sees. I'm sorry. This. Uh, sorry to keep laughing, but this scene is really, really funny. Um, Jeremy just comes running past them, and he's got like Nancy's legs over his shoulders, and they're like back to back with like her head kind of like where Jeremy's butt is. And Mark just looks like completely aghast at the situation, and he's just like. <laughs> Is this what my granddad fought and died for? I <laughs> <laughs> uh, love it. And uh, so we we go to a scene where la- later on, after the, the class is over, the group is sitting in a circle holding hands because it is kind of a hippy-dippy class, right? So the class leader asks everyone how they felt about today's session. Yeah, and the, the, the bald guy that tried to dance with Mark is just talking about how he felt some... Um, like negative energy and then another character who we kind of meet later um in a little more depth named Gwyn is just like there was a weird energy here there was some that was just so rainbow rhythms and the scene is from Gwyn's perspective and he looks at Jeremy when he says the first thing and then he goes and then there was just some energy that was just so not rainbow rhythms and he's just like glaring at Mark well, and I was and I was confused about this too. And I'm going to submit that the guy who is talking is not Gwen, because if you look, he's wearing like he's wearing like short shorts and a t-shirt. But Gwen is much more suave than that. I think they look similar, but I don't think it's the same guy. Oh, that would I guess that would make sense because later Jeremy says like, "Hey, who's Mister New Pants?" So yeah, I guess it's probably not Gwen. But it is a guy that looks similar to Gwen. He looks similar, but we're we're just gonna play the uh, the clip here because it's a pretty good little clip. So, how did we all experience the class? <clears throat> well, um, I felt a lot of stuff to do with rejection coming up for me tonight. Um, I was dancing with someone, and they made it very clear that they didn't want to be with me, uh, and it just brought up a lot of feelings. That's all. Thanks. Yeah, there was a lot of new energy in the room tonight. And some of it was just so rainbow rhythms. And some of it was just so not rainbow rhythms. Thanks. Why don't you just say who you're talking about? You're talking about me, aren't you? Well, yes. All right, I am. Well, listen, I'm sorry if I didn't do it right. And I'm sorry if you assume that I eat red meat and don't necessarily think money or Tony Blair are a bad thing. But if there isn't room here for people who stand against everything you believe in, then what sort of a hippie free-for-all is this? <laughs> and I love Mark's <laughs> I love Mark's little like, I'm so sorry that I like me and the economy and <laughs> Tony Blair. <laughs> like, but if, you know, you don't accept me, then what kind of hippie commune is this? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's... <laughs> So as he says, uh, you know, some of it was so rainbow rhythms and some of it was just so not. And, uh, you know, it's it's very funny. And I feel like Mark, uh, he, I think he is upset, uh, but he's more upset about the fact of where he is and the way that he's being treated. Yeah. Yeah. And then 
And then right after that, we're back at Apollo House, and Jeremy has his reggae sex mix just a blaring. Which I don't think we've been introduced to the sex mix yet, but I would really like to know what's on that what's on that CD. But Nancy is going to town on him. I mean, she's on top of him, just going to town. And uh, Jeremy thinks about how pathetic he was being and how happy he is right now. Yeah, and and Nancy is just she starts like moaning like. Oh Jesus! Oh Jesus! Oh Jesus! And then all of a sudden, she's like, "Oh Jesus! Thank you for this moment." And Jeremy, and Jeremy's just like, "Yeah, uh, thank you, Jesus." Yeah. And then, <laughs> and then, like, right as as Nancy is like about to climax, she just tells Jeremy to just stop everything that he's doing and to be quiet. And goddamn, uh. Uh, Robert Webb's face is so oh my funny. Oh my he makes like three or four different faces in this scene, and like you could just tell he's like, okay, like I'm doing what you asked, but uh, like uh. he's got this look on his face where he's like biting his bottom lip, and <laughs> it looks like he's just trying to do everything he can do to like possibly finish. And she like puts her finger on his mouth, and she's just like, shh. Don't say but, a single word. And he's just like biting his lip. Yeah, and but uh, be, you know, as soon as that happens, Mark knocks on the door, and uh, you know, you can hear from the other side of the door Jeremy saying, "Go away." Yeah, and Mark is just like, "I thought we agreed that early in the morning still counts as late at night," and. Jeremy just opens the door and he's wearing like what I would assume is Nancy's robe because it's like a pink kind of green like silk robe. It's flowery. Yeah. yeah. And he just has like a giant visible erection through the robe. <laughs> and, you know, Mark kind of when Jeremy opens the door kind of like looks down and sizes him up and he's like, oh, God, like <laughs> I can't talk to you with that thing. Yeah, and, and he starts to chide Jeremy about how some of us have jobs, and Jeremy just informs Mark that having sex is his job. He is a sexer. Right. And, you know, he's also confused about why Mark is so put off by his uh, boner, because they both have dicks. Yo, you've seen one before. We both have them, Mark. But, uh, you know, Nancy pops in, and just this line that she delivers, I mean, she could not have delivered this line better. Yeah, oh, this line is so funny. She just says, oh, I'm sorry, Mark. We were we were both coming so hard we didn't notice the volume. And Mark, <laughs> and Mark just looks like completely okay with this answer. He's just like completely placated with this answer. And he's just like, oh, well, finally an explanation. And I, I really just think is that he didn't want to be rude to Nancy because he doesn't know how to deal with women. But uh, obviously he's still very upset. Yeah. Yeah, um, but next we go to JLB, and Mark is breaking into Sophie's email again to see what she said about the dance class. Yes, and uh, Sophie's emailing another employee named Carrie Hudson, who I don't think we've never met. No, no I don't think like, we've ever met I, a Carrie, and I don't think we no. ever meet a Carrie, unless she's... I, I wonder if she's maybe the uh, Sophie's uh black friend from like seasons or series seven the one that well, called could Mark be a but... real piece of shit i guess but that's well after jlb isn't it no they're still at jlb at that point in time 
Oh, okay. Okay. So, um, anyway, uh, Sophie is, uh, we, we don't know if Sophie is still technically Mark's boss because of what happened in season one. Uh, I'm assuming that she probably isn't by now that, you know, enough time has passed that they've probably found a suitable replacement because uh, that would be extremely unprofessional. Yeah, yeah, I, I know. I, I actually had thought about that, too, was I was wondering if she was still technically his boss because dating a subordinate and then contacting about him would just be, like, very, very unprofessional. Absolutely, but Mark is in Sophie's email and says, Alakazoo, Alakazam, let's find out how fucked I am. It kind of sounds like a Dr. Seuss line. It's all good. So, uh, it's good news, though. Sophie thought Mark was acting weird at the dance class, but definitely appreciated the fact that he showed up and tried. Yeah, and meanwhile, on her date with Jeff, he tried to kiss her while they were at dinner and was getting a little handsy, which Sophie said that she did not like. And throughout this scene, Mark is squeezing a stress ball, his little smiley face, and, uh... Obviously, you can tell he's just kind of very worried about the situation. And as if breaking into her email wasn't creepy enough, he also ends the scene by contemplating, oh, what if I just tap her phone? Yeah. <laughs> and and next we get another one of these visual scenes, but there's actually a lot of, like, audio component. Um so I'm going to like talk through the scene a little bit and then I just want to insert it so you can, or I just want to play it, excuse me, so that you guys can, can hear how just well, goddamn funny in, it is. In the context of the scene, insert isn't the worst word. Yeah. Yeah. That is very, that's a good point. <laughs> yeah. That was not a, so, that was not an intended pun, but no, very funny. But uh, So Mark kind of comes into the flat and he's announcing himself very clearly like hello i'm home it's mark hello like i'm i'm back for the day just to make sure that jeremy and nancy aren't going to be banging in the hallway yeah and he's like there's nothing sexual about a hallway is there and um <laughs> as he's walking towards jeremy's room jeremy just kind of walks out of his room and you know, he looks like he's just taking a shower. He's like kind of toweling his hair off and everything. And um, Mark follows Jeremy into the kitchen. And then we get another great Mark scene. Yes, we do. But uh, before that, he, you know, Nancy, I guess, had just left. So there's no worry about him, them, him running into them banging. Mark walks into the kitchen and that's when he kind of sees like the bad news. Right. I mean, there's a, everything seems to be out of place. There's a chair out of place. There's food all over the kitchen. But what got me is that, oh, I think I know where you're going with this because this cracks me up too. Yeah. The yogurt, there's yogurt all over the countertop and it's apparently Mark's yogurt, but it's in the shape of an ass. Uh, yeah. <laughs> That's one of those like underappreciated like visual gags in this episode is like the ass shaped yogurt pile. And there. And there's also a block of cheese smeared all over the counter, which I got to think, you know, that can't be good for you. Yeah, it looks like it was near her butt, though, so probably didn't go any other place. I mean, let's let's hope so. Um, if anybody has any other opinions on that, please contact us. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that Mark just probably left the cheese out on accident and they were just and Jeremy and Nancy were just so enthralled that she inadvertently sat on it. Because it looks literally like it's great because 
there's like a block of cheese, but then there's like an end that's kind of melted and smeared, and that melted and smeared end is near the ass shaped imprint. It, yeah, it's it's very very funny, and Mark then realizes Jeremy and Nancy were banging in the kitchen, and honestly, what he's most concerned about is his yogurt like you use my yogurt <laughs> yeah <laughs> like, he's very concerned about it and then he, he also realizes that his shower gel was out there and apparently also used for some kind of weird sex act which i don't know what you'd use shower gel for i can't imagine that would be comfortable for anybody nope but um <laughs> but but mark is just like so upset at this point and jeremy just is like you know, Mark, we're just in a very sexual relationship right now. <laughs> or erotic, erotic. We're just erotic. in a very erotic relationship right now. Right. And Jeremy explains that, him, uh, you know, him and Nancy are breaking down all the societal taboos that people have. And as he's explaining this, Mark, Mark walks into the bathroom just to kind of do his business. Yeah, and he's going in there to brush his teeth, and Mark is just like, Where's the love? Where's the romance? And then Jeremy's just like, you don't need any romance when you're doing it up the bum. And Mark has a really good monologue. And again, we're going to play the scene, but he sees no point in butt sex. Yeah. And, uh, you know, he's he's not interested in it. He doesn't understand what the modern obsession is with that. As he says, he can't even say the word. But uh, he, he says, you know, for better or worse, the 80s, their correction, the 60s happened, and now sex is fine. But why can't we take the best of that, the nice music, the colors, the I have a dream, etc., but not have to face the squalor? Yeah, and then at this point, he goes to grab his toothbrush to brush his teeth, and Jeremy's just like, you might want to rinse that first. And goddamn, the look on David Mitchell's face is so fucking funny in this scene. Oh, and his, it, their expressions really make this show. Yeah, I, I really, you know, I really think that that was one of, uh, amongst other things, I think that that was something that we didn't really talk about in the, when we reviewed the American episode of Peep Show, was that you just don't There's get no those, facials. yeah, you just don't get those great facial expressions that Mitchell and Webb are both, like, super capable of. Anyways, oh, we'll, we'll go ahead right here and just listen to this scene because it's really, really great. Hope they're not doing it in the hall. There's nothing erotic about a hall, is there? Hello, I'm coming in now. This is me coming into my house. I'm off. All right, Jez. Is Nancy around? No, just gone. I'm seeing down the rhythms. Right, okay. Jez, wh why is the chair and what's all this strawberry and my yogurt. Jess, what, what's happened to my muller? Oh no, you haven't, have you? you? You haven't been sexing it up in here with my yogurt? Relax, Mark, it's all right. We were just feeling very horny. I don't want to know, okay? I, I don't want to hear about it. And I don't want it using up all my yogurt and bloody shower gel. Mark, I'm just in a very erotic relationship right now. I mean, we're systematically breaking down all the taboos that society has. Right, and love? Romance? I mean, is there any romance in any of this at all? Who needs romance when you're doing it up the bum? Exactly. I exactly my point. I mean, if you've actually done that, which, by the way, I can see no point whatsoever in myself... You'd love to try it. I honestly would not! What, what is this modern obsession with... that? Look! Jez, what I'm trying to say is, 
So, for better or for worse, the 60s happened, and now sex is fine. But can't we take the best of that? The nice music, the colours, the I have a dream, etc. But not have to face the squalor. Uh, you might want to give that a bit of a rinse, actually, mate. Oh man! You might want to clean that toothbrush. <laughs> I would oh, man. legit. I would be so fucking pissed, man. Dude, oh, I would be too. God, I would be so pissed because, like, it looks like a pretty nice electric toothbrush. Obviously, it's. Not, I mean, electric toothbrush. We know what it does. Obviously, you know what they used it for. But uh, yeah, yeah, not ideal. Yeah. Oh, I'd be. I'd be so irritated right now. <laughs> So, later that night, we're still at Apollo House, but this time we're in Jeremy's room. And uh, Jeremy sounds very concerned. You don't really know why, but Nancy's telling him not to worry. Oh, oh my god. This entire scene is visual, once again. Um, like, honestly, if you're listening to this podcast and you've never watched this episode, I highly recommend just pause it here go watch the episode because this scene is so fucking funny. Yeah. Cause Jeremy, we finally get to see Jeremy. He's in full blackface, but not just blackface. Like he is head to toe. Yeah. He's in like full on. It's not just blackface. It is black body. <laughs> yeah. And Nancy's trying to convince him that it's his duty, you know, to break this taboo because whatever God he worships, which she refers to as, God, Shiva, or Nasdaq. Yeah, whatever you call him. And I actually know people who probably do worship the Nasdaq as a deity. Unfortunately. But uh, she says to Jeremy, you know, and I think this is hilarious, is, Jeremy, I'm from America. I've seen the problems that race brings up. Now fuck me and pretend I'm your mom. Yeah, and, and Jeremy just looks, like, so appalled because while I don't think we really know it, at this point, Jeremy has, like, huge mother issues. Yeah, like, uh, he looks appalled, and he's like, what? Why? And Nancy says, well, what, you can't imagine your mom having sex with a black man? That's pretty racist, Jeremy. Yeah, and then he's just like, he's just like, uh, I'm I'm sorry, I, I can't, you know, I can't get it up, I'm sorry. <laughs> Before that, he, he, you know, the line that I like in this scene is, Mom? Mummy. <laughs> oh man. But uh if there's one thing that would trigger Jeremy that he can't get an erection, it's definitely thinking about his mom having sex, which I mean given is probably uh the same for a lot of us. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I I, I yeah, I, I think we can just probably leave it at that. Yeah, there's no further discussion required on this. <laughs> but uh he walks out of the bedroom to go wash the paint off of his body. Yeah, and as he walks out, Mark is sitting in the kitchen reading a newspaper. And again, this entire scene is visual, so I'll just kind of try to do my best to explain it in the interest of good podcasting. So the initial scene is from Jeremy's POV. And you have to remember, Jeremy probably has underwear on, but other than that, he's like naked, just completely covered black. In, in black, in black, <laughs> or like brown face paint or body uh. paint. And he just looks at Mark reading the newspaper, and then Mark just, like, <laughs> slowly looks up at him. 
and then it just it flashes to Mark's POV. So he's looking at Jeremy and Jeremy just like stands there and he doesn't have any of his charisma. He doesn't have any of his swagger. He just looks like <laughs> this horrible, like, broken individual. <laughs> and and this is my favorite part where, uh, you know, like Jeremy sees like Mark start to mouth the words of what the fuck, but he stops at what? Yeah. And, and then Jeremy starts to, like, kind of come up with some words, stops, rolls his eyes, and then just goes straight for oh, a shower. I mean, it's ridiculously funny. The, these two have an entire conversation without saying a single word, and it is so, so funny. I'm actually going to go on YouTube and see if this scene is is on YouTube. I'm pretty sure it probably is. And I'm going to just go ahead and link it on our our Facebook page um, for people to watch just so that they can get an idea. Because, good God, this scene is so funny. And actually, what we already linked on our Facebook page is kind of in the next scene. <laughs> uh, there's uh, a couple days ago, you linked a video um, of Mark dancing at Rainbow Rhythms, where we're going to go next. And it's a fantastic video. Please go watch it, because I enjoyed it very much. I hope you all do, too. But Mark is staring at Jeremy and Nancy, and they're dancing dirty with each other. And uh, Mark is wondering, well, which one of my belongings are going to go up her ass next? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so Jeremy is sitting there as he's dancing with Nancy, and he's trying to think of, like, what taboo he's he's going to break next and everything is going well for Jeremy at this point so of course something bad has to happen and Tony just kind of shows up at Rainbow Rhythms but I do think it's weird that Tony just shows up um and also I think it's weird that Jeremy is like a little upset that Tony's there considering that he's in this like super erotic relationship with Nancy and he shouldn't like give a fuck about Tony. No, he shouldn't. And uh, I have a feeling that at some point Jeremy had just mentioned to Tony about the dance class in an, an attempt to, you know, lure her in. But uh, as we'll cover, kind of going up in the next scene, the other Tony may have been there as well, which is very confusing. And uh, like, I, I, it's not super out of character for jeremy it just doesn't make a whole lot of sense yeah it's it's really this whole scene is really strange because now now what's happened is that he's feeling like he's trying to juggle both tony and nancy at the same time at rainbow rhythms except uh, i mean objectively i'm just speaking objectively tony's horrible nancy's pretty cool and very attractive. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I don't even know why he'd be messing with Tony at this point. Yeah. But uh, the instructor instructs everyone to just relax and let their body take over. And Mark starts thinking about the Force and Star Wars. And, you know, thinks to himself, well, it was bloody lucky that Luke Skywalker destroyed the Death Star. He, he Because, you know, turning off his navigation system. Yeah. <laughs> like, he's still thinking about Sophie's emails because he keeps trying to pretend to be relaxed. Yeah. And at this point, the instructor tells everybody to go into, what is it, the red chakra? And let their, primal, so. let their primal selves take over and just go ahead and open up the, like, emotional box. 
Right. But Mark, in his own Mark way, says, you know what? If I want to act relaxed, it's going to take all of my cunning, skill, and concentration. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and and Mark and Sophie in the scene actually seem to be having like a pretty good time at Rainbow Rhythms. I mean, obviously, we know that Mark is just pretending, but... You know, he's putting on a good facade. He's putting on a good facade. Jeremy, on the other hand, is like really pissed because he sees Nancy dancing with Gwyn, aka Mr. New Pants. Right. And Gwyn is played by Alan Westway. He was on the show EastEnders, and he's stayed pretty steady since Peep Show, but mostly it seems like he's a cameo, one episode actor kind of deal, which is what he does in Peep Show. Yeah, and Jeremy is fine pushing boundaries with Nancy, because, like, Nancy's whole deal is that, you know, she's, like, a free spirit, and Jeremy is fine with her free-spiritedness as long as it's only him that's on right. the receiving end. And, we'll, and we get to that in the next scene, so I don't want to dive too far into that, but... uh you know, the, the next scene is, uh, and we're going to link this... Uh, from the YouTube, I think we already mentioned, but when David Mitchell opens his red chakra, it's just hilarious. Uh, Cause he's just flipping out, flailing all over the place, like almost having a seizure. Yeah. That's what I was. That's, that's probably the best way that I would describe it too. I mean, I cannot imagine anybody. I mean, given this is rainbow rhythms, right? It's clearly an interpretive dance class and I'm all for interpretive dance. You know, some of it's pretty good. Yeah. This is not. Yeah. And uh, Mark's just like, yeah, sure, honey. Appear to be opening the box while the lid firmly stays on. And then he looks at Sophie, who's just like, as Mark is dancing like a complete freak, Sophie just seems to like be smiling more and more. And he's like, <laughs> oh, she's buying it. God, it's so easy being a freak. No wonder they are ten a, ten a penny. I should get marks for not feeling a fucking thing. <laughs> So, uh, obviously, I mean, at least if I were in some hippie dance class, my next reaction would be what their next reaction was, which was to go to the pub. And uh, the crew from Rainbow Rhythms is kind of sitting around drinking beer and various drinks. Yeah, for some reason, Tony is there, um, despite it being unclear if he was actually at Rainbow Rhythms or not. And, and Sophie just kind of compliments Mark on getting in touch with himself and... You know, she's like, oh, it seemed like you were really feeling something, you know, in there. And so Mark tries to make just kind of a natural response. And he's like, oh, it wasn't necessarily that something was, it was more like something flowed out than flowed in. And then Nancy <laughs> is just immediately like, oh, the same thing happened to me the first time I went to Rainbow Rhythms. Yeah, apparently she threw up the first time she went to Rainbow Rhythms because she got so into it. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I mean, I guess if maybe Nancy was dancing like Mark, I could see how that would cause a person to throw up. <laughs> yeah. I definitely wouldn't be feeling good after that. But uh, Jeremy and Gwen both take turns hitting on Nancy, with Jeremy becoming increasingly jealous of Gwen. Yeah, and here's, here's when Nancy starts to kind of talk about, like, their open relationship and um and which which is unbeknownst to jez really yeah yeah he it's kind of news to him that they're in an open relationship and he's like yeah we're in a open you know we're open to meeting new people and she's just like no we're open to like way more than that 
<laughs> and then she starts to she starts to talk about how open relationships are all about freedom and Jeremy just kind of adds on to the end of that yeah freedom loyalty commitment monogamy it like isn't monogamy the last taboo yeah <laughs> which i found really funny cuz i i guess there's there's probably some truth to that yeah yeah, I think that's one of those weird philosophical Jez moments, but Tony blows up Jez's spot and says, you know, oh, well, it's funny you weren't so worried about monogamy when you came around and told me you were in love with me. Yeah. And of course, <laughs> both Tonys are there, and they're just staring a hole straight through. Like, if they had laser vision, he would have been vaporized. Yeah, and then, then Jeremy's just like, yeah, all right. I mean, that was a bit of a, not mistake or joke, but, but. Just wrong. I mean, you can't love two people at once. And Tony and Nancy are both just like, yes, you can. Yeah. And, you know, so Mark naturally just trying to carry on the conversation, asks Sophie about what she thinks about loving multiple people. Uh, so Sophie begins to talk about, um, well, you know, it depends on the kind of love and, you know, kind of being very avoidant. And Mark's just thinking about that he can't wait to check her email again. But he does kind of check himself a little bit that once every four hours might be a little bit obsessive. And this is one of my favorite, like, kind of running peep show-esque jokes where the characters will ask another character a question and then just immediately tune him out and just start thinking about other <laughs> stuff. And then they kind of snap back in and then they're just both like, oh, what got said? <laughs> but so at this point, Mark... Uh, proudly i would say announces that he is going to take a wee but in real reality we find out he brings his bag to the bathroom and he has uh his palm tungsten w device yeah and i actually i had to look this up because i wasn't quite sure what device this was although it did look familiar um i thought it was a blackberry at first but i found out it was a palm tungsten and it just reminded me like when i joined the military my office had just spent like hundreds of dollars on getting everybody in our office uh, a Palm PDA. And I just thought I was like the hottest shit imaginable with my Palm PDA. And, <laughs> and this one, this Palm Tungsten W is actually really funny because one, it had a data connection so because he's able to check Sophie's email while in the bathroom. But the phone itself, or the device, I should say, itself, wasn't even really a phone. You had to plug, like, a headset. And it's kind of weird because we really, almost every new phone you get now has a, a headset with an inline microphone. And, um, in fact, I recorded the first episode of this podcast on my headset, you know, my Samsung headset that I got. <laughs> um and you know i but i started doing some research on this palm tungsten w it had a whopping 16 megabits of memory with at the time a blazing 33 megahertz processor Ooh, damn dude or you no probably sorry, not, probably not 33 megahertz that would be fucking insane i probably meant to put 33 hertz uh, no, I bet it was megahertz no. because I mean this was after the 486 and all that. So I mean, 486 was what 25 no, megahertz. No, no, so. no. 
Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, megahertz. Yes, yes. Sorry, I was thinking yeah, yeah. gigahertz. Excuse me. Yeah, you are completely right. Gig- gigahertz were unheard of in 2004, more or less. Uh, yeah, well, I mean, you had some one gig maybe. processors at that point in time. But yeah, this 30... Anyways, not to get too technical, but yeah, this thing had 16 megs of memory and a 33 megahertz processor. Yeah, I mean, there's just been so many leaps in technology. I had a similar experience in 2003. I bought a one of those Windows PC uh, pocket things, you know? Oh yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. It was it was similar to a Palm Pilot, but it was Windows based, and uh, you know, like I I felt like King should have fucked Mountain until I realized how useless it was. Oh, dude, my my buddy had one of those, and I just thought that was like the coolest shit ever. I was like, what? You mean you can check your emails and browse the internet on your phone? Like that it's is a full color screen. Yeah, like what? Did yours have the stylus? It did. <laughs> It did. Yeah. But I mean, it had no data connection, so it was fucking worthless. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, so uh, not not to get dive too down into uh, tech nerd shit, but Mark goes ahead and checks Sophie's emails on his Palm device and realizes that Jeff wants to go punting at the pub. And it's a terrible email from Jeff, like, um, you know, bell me later, love Jeffy. Yeah. Yeah. And Mark is just <laughs> like... Punting equals shunting, and I'm just going to have to beat Jeff to the punch and ask her out on a day trip. (laughs) So, uh, in the next scene, we're inside of one of those VW hippie vans, which I I love. I wish I could find one to rebuild, but Jeremy, Nancy, Sophie, and Mark are all in there arguing about where to go for a trip. Mark wants to go to RAF Duxford and to the Imperial War Museum, being the history guy that he is. But of course, nobody seems interested in the idea. Yeah, and a lot of stuff in Peep Show is is made up, like building names, book names, TV shows, stuff like that. RAF Duxford, Duxford is an actual legitimate Royal Air Force base, and it actually does house the Imperial Imperial War Museum. Um, but along with like made up stuff, and please, if I am incorrect, please fact check me because i did quite a bit of research and could not find anything about this sophie says she wants to go see the totsford stone circle okay i can i can literally not find anything about the totsford stone museum that or stone circle excuse me that is not peep show related so if this is a real thing please let me know yes but somehow jeremy being in the passenger seat of the van was given the responsibility of navigating, and it's one of those old paper atlases yeah. uh, that you you know, like you might have got from AAA back in the day. And uh, he can't handle the fact, like, uh oh, like we've gone into the crease of the map, like where the book meets, <laughs> yeah. and uh, you know, we're lost in the crease. Yeah, uh, <laughs> and Nancy is just like, we've been lost for four hours. Let's go to Tollsbury to see Gwyn and. Here's like a little bit of that scene here, just kind of Jeremy talking about the crease and everything. Oh shit, we've gone into the crease. I can't make out anything in the crease. Jez, we've been lost for four hours now. Fuck it, I'm going to Tollsbury. Tollsbury? Yeah, we can surprise Gwyn from dance class. He's got a boathouse there. All right, Gwyn. Brilliant. Shit, got to stop this. Grab the wheel, cause an accident. There's definitely a taboo against that. Plus, if she got disfigured, she'd be more likely to stick with me. But what if I came off worse? Lost a limb? I'm punching above my weight as it is. Or, listen, if we take a right up ahead, we could make it to this really wicked-looking public way bridge. 
<laughs> I, but I know what he's saying. Like, you get to the crease, and you know, God, thank God, every every fucking smartphone has a GPS in it now. That paper atlases are a thing of the past, but that crease was a pain in the ass, man. Oh, it was. I mean, I remember the old flip ticks that you used to be able to get from uh, from AAA, where oh. it was like highlighted out. You know what I'm talking about? Dude, those things those were the shit. Were the shit, man. I remember. I remember always going to AAA. And, but, like, as many times, you know, living in Del Rio that I go to San Antonio, I mean, San Antonio is the eighth biggest city in America, which puts it probably, you know, pretty high worldwide. And I'd be totally lost without my smartphone. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I forgot about those trip ticks, but those things were the shit. We had... They were. We basically had one that was to my mom's... To my mom's parents' house, and then we had one that was to my dad's mom's... You know, my dad's parents' house... And we basically just would, like, recycle those motherfuckers. We would just hang on to them, and we probably used them for, like, three or four years. Oh, sure. Sure, absolutely. I mean, I remember taking trips from Tampa to Cincinnati and just reusing, reusing, reusing. But uh, we get a hard cut here to Gwen's Boathouse. Obviously, that was the decision that was made. Yeah, and I could see, I could see Sophie, you know, like, wanting to, you know, going along with all of this. Yeah, I mean, you know, Sophie really doesn't have a reason to care. I mean, she's just kind of along for the ride, it seems. But Gwen is very excited for the crew to be there and uh, brings them all out of beer. It looks like they're having kind of maybe a little picnic kind of thing. And uh, neither of the guys want to be there. But uh, Gwen is definitely a show-off. You know, it, it's funny that you say that because this entire scene, uh, this scene and then the scene after it, I have always tried to figure out if Gwyn is just oblivious or an asshole. I think he's an asshole. I, I think he tries to play Mr. Hippie Cool Guy, but I think he's actually an asshole. Yeah, yeah. And um, it's funny because Jeremy is just like, does not want to be at Gwyn's cottage. And he's just like, oh, okay, guys, well, it's time to go. And Mark <laughs> is Mark is just in like hippie hell. Yes, he, he's not enjoying any of this, clearly. But Gwen makes the suggestion that they all go skinny dipping because it's such a nice day. And, uh, you know, Jeremy says, well, we don't have any stuff to go swimming in. Um, but after Gwen starts to take his shirt off and says, you know, I can't imagine on such a nice day not feeling the fresh water against my skin. <laughs> like, but you would still feel the stuff on. Well, sure, I, yeah, but I mean, look, I mean, I, and and I've had my nipple bitten off in a lake by a bluegill, but uh, I'm I'm missing a piece of myself from swimming in a lake naked, but not a great idea, um, especially with everything else hanging out there. But anyway, Jeremy stands up and says, "You know what? This guy is not going to outdo me." He starts taking his shirt off, and he's going into the lake. Yeah, and I love this because Gwyn is like chiseled i mean not i i don't want to say he's not like he's not like ripped or anything but he's definitely like in shape and robert webb is like decidedly not in then mark kind of picks up the banner <laughs> of stuff and he's just like uh i really would feel better with 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 stuff and <laughs> we get a, after that it pretty much just smash cuts to nancy sophie jeremy and gwen are already in the lake and mark is standing on the pier with his boxers and 
Mark does not want to take his boxers off. And I almost wish they had put in a scene where he just takes everything, you know, where he takes his shirt and pants off. Cause I bet David Mitchell was hilarious and would have been hilarious in that scene. I wouldn't be surprised, and you know, because we we watch it on Netflix and Hulu. It wouldn't. I wouldn't be surprised if that's like a deleted scene somewhere. Yeah, yeah. But knowing that Mark just had a knife in the back of his scrotum to remove the hydrical in his nutsack, lake water's probably not the best for that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. and then everybody just kind of starts pressuring Mark. Uh, you know, take it off, take it off, and and Mark's Mark's in his head is just like. This isn't happening. No way. No fucking way. And he's just trying to like sit on the dock and just, you know, he just tells people like, oh, you know, I'll just kind of watch or, you know, like in my own time, I'll do it. In my own time. Yeah, I like that line. But then Jeremy comes up and swims up and says, well, I'm going to pull him off. I'm going to take your pants off. And then that's when we get a really great line from Mark. Fuck off. Fuck off. Get the fuck off me. Yeah. <laughs> like, uh, don't, really strong. Yeah, don't don't fact check me on this, but is this the first fuck off from Mark of the series to Jeremy? Yeah, I think I think it might be. Like, the first really good fuck off. Yeah, yeah let, yes. The first really, like, classic, like, fuck off. I, David Mitchell has a really good fuck off, and you, you hear it, like, a ton of times throughout the series. Um, I love... <laughs> and... Uh, I love this, and and Mark at this point is just pretty broken, and he just takes his boxers off and jumps in. Yeah, I kind of wish we would have seen more of the aftermath of Mark jumping in, because it was a very short scene after he did. I mean, did he have a good time, even though he wasn't comfortable? I mean, the lake water was a little bit murky, so he probably didn't have a whole lot to worry about. Um, But his whole plot line up to this point has been about appearing to be relaxed and cool and but he's neither of those things yeah and this is the first time he in again it's kind of similar to his interactions with valerie where valerie kind of gets him to do things he wouldn't normally do and this is the first time where he really has to be calm and relaxed and he actually does have to take the or open the you know the lid of his you know comfort zone and um i just yeah i just think the scene is this scene and then the scene after it are very 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 funny because again jeremy doesn't want to be there because he hates gwyn and mark doesn't want to <laughs> be there because he just doesn't want to you know he wants to be able to relax without actually relaxing Right. And uh, later that evening, we see a little bit more of that inside of the boathouse. Uh, you know, Mark accepts having been seen naked that, you know, well, our, everybody's already seen and raided my penis. So let's use the 60 vibe to hook up with Sophie. Yeah. And, and Nancy just kind of looks at Gwyn and I, I'm going to go ahead and play this. I'm going to go ahead and play the scene. And then I just kind of want to, like, kind of go through it. <laughs> mm-hmm. This place is amazing, Gwyn. How can you afford it all? Well, I guess I've just been very lucky. Money's an energy, and uh, lots of it has always flowed towards me. Particularly after my parents died. Cosmic. Yeah, well, that might sound funny to you, but it was actually quite a painful time. No, I just meant... You're not going to out-hippie me, you fucking hippie. This place has great energy. Yeah. I remember when I first spent time down here. I was 14 years old, and I came down here all alone just with a candle and an old, old copy of Henry Miller. 
and I just had the most amazing wank. I mean, it really just bust me open. I, I couldn't believe that I had this instrument right there. <sighs> Isn't it amazing, that first big wank? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I, I love, uh, I love, you know, Webb's expression here, but, you know, Gwen is just like, oh, I guess I've just been very lucky. Money's, Money's in energy. energy. <laughs> Lots of it has flowed towards me, particularly oh, after my parents died. And I, I'm missing, I'm missing that fucking energy. I'll tell you what. Oh, shit. And it, this just makes me <laughs> like hate Gwen even more because of course, Gwyn would be a rich asshole that got all his money without doing any fucking thing for it, and just and just being so smug about it. Yeah, because I really do think like it's not totally obvious, I guess, but there's an air of smugness about him. Yeah, and then he just goes into the like I like the the wank monologue when he's like, "I was 14 year old and I came down here <laughs> with just a candle and an old old copy of Henry Miller, and I just had." the most amazing wink and i couldn't believe i had this instrument right here isn't it amazing that first big wink and <laughs> what this part is so funny because both jeremy and nancy are like oh yeah and then mark and sophie are like yes <laughs> <laughs> and and this is where you can see sophie like uh, as well just becoming almost as uncomfortable as mark yeah yeah, especially with what Gwen's next idea is. Exactly. So Gwen convinces everybody that we're going to play Spin the Bottle. Because, I mean, why not, right? We're all in this hippie 60s vibe, whatever, yeah. who cares? So, um, you know, Sophie asks Mark if he's okay with that. And Mark is like, no, fuck no. But externally agrees with it. Yeah. Just, and, uh, just a quick question. Have you ever played Spin the Bottle? I have. Yeah, was it? Was it as awkward as it wasn't here? Because uh, no, I because legitimately have never played Spin the Bottle, and I feel like I've missed out on something in my life. Okay, let me let me assure you, you haven't, because most of the time that happens in high school, and everybody's garbage in high school anyway. Uh, good point, good point. Yeah, but uh, in this scenario, I mean, it's the worst possible outcome. Oh, especially the first spin where Jeremy spins the first time and it just lands on Mark. <laughs> So, you know, Jez asks if he can spin again, and Gwen is like, you know, sure, if you can't handle it, spin again, trying to out-hippie Jez. And Jeremy just cannot stand the fact that he's being challenged in his liberalism department. Yeah, and this this scene, I honestly feel like this scene is like the climax of both characters' storylines, because... God, don't, say, don't say climax. Oh, yeah. Oh, Jesus. I didn't even think about that. The, <laughs> the crescendo. That's so horrible. Yeah. It's the crescendo of both characters' storylines. Thank you. Because they just are... Like, <laughs> Jeremy has to kiss Mark to prove he's as laid back and free as Gwen. And Mark... Mark Jeremy is just like, well, you know, I don't mind if Mark doesn't. <laughs> and Mark's just like, no, no, that's... That's that's fine. And then Jeremy says something about taboos and Mark just responds, I hate taboos. And as I was writing my notes, I was laughing so hard at this scene. And it's so and it's it's kind of hard to watch. But at the same time, it's like it is a really fucking funny scene. It's so uncomfortable when they start to kiss. And to their credit, this is like full on 
full bore kiss. There's no thumb between the lips. There's no camera shots. This is just two men making the fuck out, and it is so <laughs> funny. And the funny thing is, is as they're doing it, Jez is like, okay, well, I, he's thinking to himself, I can't stop first. Because if I don't mind looking gay, I'll seem the most hetero. <laughs> <laughs> Which is like, I mean, again, he's still trying to, like, even in this horrible situation, he's still trying to out hippie Gwen, and he's not going to. Yeah, oh, this scene is so funny. And, and like, Mark, Mark looks like he has just seen, like, the worst war crime ever committed. <laughs> Yeah, like reading a book on Stalingrad and being terrified. Oh. But yeah, there's there's nothing funny about this. It's just yeah, it's just two men making out. So um, anyway, at the end of it, they they kind of both break at the same time, and uh, Sophie kind of just looks at Mark, and she's like, "Well done," like almost as a question, like. Yeah. Like, she was very uncomfortable with it as well as the audience was and everybody else involved. But uh, she rewards Mark with a little peck on the cheek. Yeah, and now Gwen, now it's Gwen's turn to spin the bottle for Nancy. And I, I don't know if maybe Gwen just doesn't spin it with enough velocity or if he does this on purpose or if it's accidental or what. But the bottle ends up landing on Gwen and Gwen and Nancy are both excited about this. Jeremy who is still traumatized from kissing Mark is not as excited. No, definitely not. And I would have to imagine that Gwen probably tried to try to uh, plan that out. I mean, I don't know, you know, again, I've played spin the bottle, but uh, there's got to be some kind of physics to it. I was going to say this, this again goes into the is Gwen an asshole or is he just oblivious? You know, he's an asshole. He's an asshole. I think firmly he's an asshole. He's just not an, he's not, He's hippy dippy enough to where you wouldn't say, "Oh, you fucking asshole." Yeah, but you know what I mean. Yeah. So uh, anyway, Jeremy tries to interrupt Gwen and Nancy at, in a very passionate makeout, but Nancy just starts grabbing on Jeremy's donger. Yeah, and Mark sees this and he's just like, "Oh Jesus, is this how the Manson family started? The squalor, <laughs> it's happening." Oh, but man. I do like Sophie's hand on my leg. <laughs> Right, because Sophie is, uh, you know, he's got her hand on his leg, and that's great until he looks down to realize, oh, Gwen's feeling me up. Yeah, and he's just like, I'm Louis Theroux, I'm Louis Theroux, with his wry smile at the orgy. <laughs> <laughs> so... At this point, you know, Sophie and Mark talk a little bit, uh, you know, she she says, Mark, are you into this? Because you don't look into this. And Mark, again, trying to be, to pretend to be a free spirit, says, oh, yeah, I'm into this. And then awkwardly, very awkwardly, grabs Sophie's boobs. Like, um, I don't know how to, like, you ever seen the word, uh, the movie 40-Year-Old Virgin? I, like, I was thinking like a baby, like grasping at his mother's breast. Like, uh, like he sure. just kind of like, I mean, he just kind of reaches out with both hands and just like, boom, right on her. Honk, boobs. honk. Yeah. Like it's, it's more of a honk than like a sensual, yeah. you know, grab. So, uh, anyway, uh, she's not really digging that either. She, yeah. I mean, she's not, she's not like upset with Mark because she just then is just like, 
yeah, I'm not really digging this. And Mark is just completely rescued here. And I'm sure he was probably like so elated to hear that. Oh, he had to have been completely relieved. So, uh, you know, Sophie and Mark start a walk out towards the dock on the lake. And this allows Mark to kind of move into his wheelhouse, you know, thinking to himself, you know, sure, an orgy sounds great, but you're basically just multiplying the the amount of people that you can't look in the eye afterwards. Yeah. And this whole next scene with Sophie and, and Mark on the lake, I... I think it's just such a good bit of like character development because, you know, when when last we left Mark and Sophie, you know, Sophie had pretty much said like she didn't want anything to do with him. Mark had smashed the teacup, um, you know, so their their relationship was in a pretty bad spot at that point in time. Yeah, but it just seems to have really evolved. And I wish there would have been a little bit more development towards this moment to where they're kind of going back out again. Yeah, yeah, I I agree. And I think it's probably the fact that Mark is like pretending to be a chill dude is what's kind of helped, you know, get the relationship to this point. I agree. But, you know, Sophie, I mean, she's not, at least not at this point in the series, she's not stupid. Like, she's got to realize that this is just, you know, at least some somewhat of a facade. Yeah, but I I would imagine that she probably just appreciates it that he's going through this much effort, you know, even if it is a facade that he's still like putting up the effort for the facade. Yeah, it makes sense. It makes sense. I mean, so yeah. So uh Mark thinks about uh like he he basically uh looks he lets his insecurities out and Sophie kind of gets to see the actual Mark for the first time and thinks of Mark thinks about how different his tactics are from the orgy going on inside. Yeah. He talks about what is it like Lake stars in a cardigan or something like that? Yeah. Which is like all you need. It's the perfect mixture to Sophie kind of shivers and he wraps his jacket around her and, um, he realizes he needs to do something romantic. Yeah. And, he, and Oh, go ahead. Sorry. He, he, yeah, no, no. He kind of think to himself like, there's a little bit of a pause, and then he says, Oh my god, am I about to sing? And he just busts out in the to song for Sophie. Like, let's go we'll go ahead and play the, the song for that he sings right yep. here. Surely I'm not about to sing. I may be right, I may be wrong, but I'm perfectly willing to swear that when you turned and smiled at me. A nightingale sang in Barclay Square. Yeah, I mean, not I mean, great. It's, it's, not great. No, he, but like, Mitchell is never going to win a Grammy. No, but I mean, I, I think the fact that, uh, you know, Mark's whole storyline has been about appearing relaxed while the lid stays on. And I think in this, this scene right here where he sings to Sophie is probably the most like relaxed and real that he's going to be the entire episode. Like, I'm not going to lie. It was kind of a sweet scene. Yeah. I, I love, I love the scene. Um, I, I love the scene a lot. Right. And so, uh, from the boathouse, Jez is kind of looking out the window and, uh, he sees Sophie and Mark at the dock and says to himself, was he just singing? There's no way he was just singing. Yeah. I'm sure that, I'm sure that, um, you know, Jeremy probably thought that that was like crazy that that Mark was singing. 
Yeah. But uh, he turns around to see Nancy and Gwen, and they are having sex under a blanket. And, I mean, very passionate sex. They are having a great time. Yeah, Jeremy is Jeremy is bummed because he can't see anything, and he he talks about how normally this is like watching a porno, except he hasn't got a heart on, and he wants to cry. And like, <laughs> honestly, at this point, I really wish the episode just ended here. Like, it it would have been a good end. I mean, the next scene is pretty much the final scene, and. I mean, I guess it adds something to it, but uh, in it would have been a good ending. Yeah, in, in about a two-minute, in this next two-minute scene, like, pretty much this entire episode is just rendered null and void. <laughs> right. I mean, so, back at JLB, Mark logs into Sophie's email again and says, you know what, look, this is going to be the last time, or at least ration it, no more than three times a day. Which is, I mean, that's just stalkerish and crazy anyway, of course, but we're talking about Mark. Yeah. And he just, like, he sees this email from Sophie, and Sophie's talking about how she really, like, likes Mark, and there's a chance for things to work out between them. And he just spins around his chair, and he's like, her, was it, Hen, 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 Hemina, Hen, 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 or something like that. Some some sort of uh, jovial celebration. Uh, I'm sure my, I'm sure my friend on Reddit will, uh, will explain the reference to me or anybody yes else. Str- strangely brown please please do or anybody so uh yeah. sophie just happens to come across mark and ask what he's celebrating and he's like oh nothing just uh uh, uh. and then so sophie kind of like tries to look in his computer to see what he's uh celebrating take a look at it and he kind of like he kind of like slaps her in the face and pushes her away. <laughs> oh my god, like, that, that was that scene was really so bad and funny. Where he just like he pie faces, he pie faces her. <laughs> yeah, so it was funny. it was really nasty. Yeah, but uh, Sophie looks at the computer and realizes, oh my god, that's my email. You've been reading my emails. Yeah, and and Mark tries to chase after her, and he's like, oh, you know, uh, uh, we really had something. Those were your words, not mine what we're just gonna throw that all away be you know we can't just throw that all away because i spy on you can we and then like sophie just turns around and just like storms off and then boom flagpole sitta mm-hmm. and th- this is just a great episode it's very enjoyable i don't know if it would be in my top five but it's pretty close yeah you know i heard a good i heard a good term to describe peep show um, and other shows like it as cringe comedy. And I never thought about that before, but that is like the most accurate description of, of this series is that uh, I would agree, especially the last like couple minutes in here is just total cringe comedy. I would agree. I mean, look at shows like Curb Your Enthusiasm. Yeah. If you've ever seen that, like that is 100% cringe comedy. And, uh, you know, it works really well here. Just because I think more than anything, the chemistry between the actors, you know, Kirby enthusiasm is all improv. So there has to be chemistry. Uh, but as far as a scripted show, I think that they do just a fantastic job uh, just cultivating those relationships. Yeah. And I actually, well, just kind of, um, I was looking for clips. I, I actually don't even really remember what I like specifically I was looking for. I think I was looking for a clip for one of the last for last um, two episodes ago. And 
I found this one hour Q&A that Mitchell and Webb and Bane and Armstrong did after the season nine episode one premiere. And it's about an hour of them just kind of talking about how they filmed the show. And uh, one of the things that they they mentioned that I thought was kind of interesting was that they really can't improv anything because of how blocked all the shots are that any I imagine that any improving like just completely fucks everything up. I can imagine because, I mean, you're talking about a one camera setup. There are very few shows that are daring enough to use that one camera setup. Yeah. Mitchell also thinks that filming in POV is a horrible idea and says that <laughs> well, this is the reason that you never see any other show do it. <laughs> no, but but it, it but it works here. It works here. Like, imagine your average American sitcom. Let's just pick, like, um, Big Bang Theory. Yeah, Big Bang, because we talked about that before. Imagine if that was POV. That would just be a fucking train wreck. Yeah, that'd be, that'd be really hard. Or, or like older sitcoms like Roseanne or Cheers, like that would be horrible to watch. Yeah, um, give me just a second. I'll, I'll I want to, I want to, I want to just say what this video is named real quick because I highly. Okay, it's uh, Mitchell and Webb on the fine final series of Peep Show Guardian Guardian Live. Um, I highly recommend any if you haven't if you're a Mitchell and Webb fan and have not watched this video. It is so insightful into the way they film the show. Um, some of the, you know, they talk about, you know, we had we had mentioned, you know, that it was supposed to be like Beavis and Butthead. And that's, you know, they talk about kind of how those origins were, how it switched over to the POV. And yeah, it's it's excellent. I, I highly recommend if you're a Peep Show fan to go and watch the video. It's an hour, but it's a very fast hour and it's very, very funny. Yeah, I actually have not seen it myself, so I'm definitely going to look that up after we're done recording here. But, uh, you know, there's it, there's just a lot of great content in season two. I'm very excited about the next episode, uh, which is Jeremy Makes It, which is in my top five. Oh, definitely. Yes, me too. I mean, it, it's got to be one of the best of the entire series. But uh, did you have some shout outs or uh, anything like that? Yeah, um, there's a uh, on a message board that I read something awful. Um, there's a great podcast that I discovered called secret cinema and they have a SoundCloud page. So if you're interested in hearing, you know, movie analysis uh, on movies that are kind of under analyzed, I highly recommend, I highly recommend uh, secret cinema podcast. And then I discovered that a coworker of mine does a video game podcast. That's kind of geared towards a more, because I'm I'm 36, so I'm outside of the coveted 18 to 35 male demographic. And mm -hmm. the guy that I work with that records this podcast, the podcast the podcast is called Season Gamer. This podcast is is directed for like people my age. Like they don't talk about Gamergate or anything like that. They just kind of stick to you know, reviewing video games. They have three podcasts up right now. They have kind of like an E3 uh, prep show. And I think that they just put one up today that was kind of recapping the Xbox One um, uh, you know, press conference. Yeah. I mean, that, and that sounds like a really good podcast because, I mean, I know just for myself, I'd love to go back in time and just play UT99 forever. Yeah. Yeah. But, I mean, because that was just the pinnacle of everything. 
But uh, another another thing we want to mention is just the great JLB Survivors page on Facebook. Oh my god, man. Like, I I don't know when this, this poetry meme started. It was probably like four or five days ago. I well, I mean, it's been around for a while, actually. I, I did a little bit of looking into it. It's been around for a couple of years, but it's really been hot lately. Yeah, it just it just exploded. And this is going to be hopefully a reoccurring segment that we have on here, which is the Peep Show Poetry Corner. Uh, we want to target the Poetry Corner toward the episode that we're actually uh, talking about that week. And I didn't see too many submissions for dance class, so we'll just go ahead and read a couple of these that are really good. <clears throat> Let me put on my poetry voice. <clears throat> Roses are red. Violets are blue. We have something special. We can't throw that all away just because I spy on you. <laughs> Which I guess is from this episode, yes, actually. Yes, it is. Boom. There we go. Yeah, there we go. Uh, and then my probably my my favorite one of all of them are um roses are red super hands is mad those kids have no idea what went on in stalingrad <laughs> <laughs> and you can just even just reading that short line you can just see mark reaching out for his stalingrad book and just putting his hand on it yeah <laughs> it's just so great um so, uh, what we got? Roses are red. Super hands love speed. Chance would be a fine thing. A fine thing indeed. <laughs> Which is just... It's brilliant. Man, there's been a lot of good ones on there. So, uh, again, if uh, you have a submission for the particular episode that we're about to record, please send it to us because we would uh, definitely like to embrace that because some of these are just so funny and we'd love to be able to play the audio form and everything else. Yeah, so. yeah it's... Like, you guys over at JLV Survivors have been cracking me the fuck up for the last few days, so... It, it's it's definitely the, it's the best Facebook page I'm subscribed to. Yeah. In fact, let me go ahead and check them out, because I did ask for feedback on this episode, and let me see if we have... Uh, I think we had one piece of feedback from Laura from London, but let me... I'll well, I always like to hear from Laura from London. Yeah. I mean, I, I know I posted a poem up there. It got almost 250 likes, which is funny because our uh, Facebook page for the podcast is half that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I wish all those people would like us. So, so Laura from London says, this is the first episode I ever recorded. And so therefore watched it over and over and over. Still, still watch on an average a couple times a week. Oh, still, excuse me, still say on average a couple times a week that I am Louis Theroux line, which is also a line that I love in this show. So, mm -hmm. Laura from London, thank you. Yes, thank you very much. You've been uh, one of our chief chief sources of feedback besides uh, Strange the Brown on Reddit. And we'd love to talk to the rest of you if you just uh, leave us some feedback or some questions or anything else. We would love to address that in upcoming podcasts. Yeah. And, uh, I, I think that we, I, I think probably this will be a good time to mention it. Um, we're actually going to have, we actually, I reached out to Laura and I asked her what her favorite episode is. Uh, her favorite episode is, call it, uh, was it University Challenge? Yeah, University yes. Challenge, that's the name of it. And Episode four. Episode four. And we are going to hopefully, fingers crossed, have her as the third man in the booth for that episode. So we're going to have a three-man team myself lee and laura so we will which, have which is, it's actual, gonna be a lot of fun yeah yeah we'll have an actual 
British person's perspective on this show. So I'm really excited about it. Yeah, there should there should be some good back and forth between the way that we see it and the way that she sees it. So and it'll make it less of a sausage party for y'all to listen to. So that's always good. Yeah. And at this point, I think that we're going to go ahead and wrap this up after the music plays, which we're going to go out with uh, Home Train Dentist once again. Um, (laughs) After Home Train Dentist, I am going to just talk like super briefly about something that I watched tonight, and that is the New Japan Pro Wrestling. And I know that probably there's not a lot of crossover between Peep Show and Japanese Pro Wrestling, but (laughs) I don't give a shit because it was fucking awesome show. So, all right well until next time then when we uh, get to one of the best episodes in the entire series this is the l dude brothers podcast saying and we'll catch you next time i am in loco parentis i am the last remaining contestant on the apprentice i am the home train dentist Okay. Yeah, so as I said, as I said kind of leading into this um New Japan Pro Wrestling which I have made no secret on this show that I really enjoy wrestling. Um I specifically I do like WWE, but specifically I love New Japan Pro Wrestling and I think it's honestly some of the it, I actually not some of. I think it is actually from just a straight like wrestling perform uh, you know point of view it is the best wrestling in the world period end of discussion i, I agree uh what i have an issue with as a wwe mark is just the pace of new japan seems to be quite a bit slower but it's it's equally enjoyable yeah and so from here on out we're going to be talking about uh, i'm going to be talking about some quick match results from the dominion show so if you are one of those weird people that actually does enjoy japanese wrestling and you like peep show and you're listening to this and you haven't watched (laughs) dominion yet i just go ahead and and go watch the show it is phenomenal show um, well, and what, what I was excited about going into it is I heard about Omega versus Okada too. Oh, so in uh, on January fourth, so New Japan's like basically their version of WrestleMania happens on January fourth every year, regardless of what day January fourth actually falls on, and it's always kind of funny because it always happens four days into the year, and there's always discussions on. Did the match of the year happen four days into into the year? And this year, the the answer to that question yes. was a, like a resounding yes because Kazuchika Okada and Kenny Omega had the the one of the best wrestling matches I've ever seen, and it was about forty five minutes long. It never felt like forty a forty five minute match, and it it ended. It ended with Okada winning, and so pretty much since that point in time, Okada's uh, Okada has had a five. He's had five star matches with Katsuyori Shibata, Tiger Mask W. Um, he had like a four and a half star match with 
bad luck folly who's like this big like samoan dude who is really not that good but like okada is just so good that he carried him to a great match Mm -hmm. and for what it's worth like aj styles is is probably my favorite wrestler okada is the best wrestler in the world right now just for quality of his matches and uh you know kenny omega is is also in that in that you know discussion as well but um omega and okada have stayed kind of apart from each other um since january 4th um and about i don't know three to four weeks ago okada just called omega out and was you know to paraphrase was just basically like look i'm tired of people talking about you know this match this match this match you know i want to prove that i'm better than you so you know let's let's fucking do it let's have another match and in new japan all of the matches have time limits on them um championship matches are 60 minutes non-title matches are 30 minutes um there are some exceptions where if it's like a tournament finale the tournament finale matches have no time limit because you've got to determine a winner um okada and omega wrestled for a fucking hour straight Mm. like brutal hard hard hitting match they wrestled for an hour straight and went to a 60 minute time limit draw and part of me was so upset that there wasn't a winner but then i just realized these crazy fucks are gonna do it for a third time and they are and and that's the thing that bothers me so much is like you know people you know you talk about wrestling or whatever to somebody who's not a fan and the first thing they're gonna bring up is oh well, wrestling's fake like okay like a lot of it is scripted no, no doubt about it i mean vince mcmahon's admitted to that but the pain and the punishment and the athleticism is very very real yeah i mean i was i was telling i was telling one of my friends that was here you know i was like oh man, I bet they're going to do the third match because um, one of the things that New Japan is doing this year is they're trying to move into the United States and get more of a presence in the United States. And in about three weeks, they're going to be running two shows at the Long Beach Convention Center and it's going to have like basically the full New Japan crew. It's There's going to be some American wrestlers from ROH, but it's predominantly going to be New Japan talent. And I was just like, oh, okay, yeah, well, that makes sense. They'll have the third match at the Long Beach Convention Center. And then I started thinking about, like, that's three weeks away. Like, there is mm-hmm. no way they are going to be recovered from this match in three weeks. Like, no. it was insanely brutal match. Um, but holy shit, what an amazing match. Um, you know, and I'm really looking forward to moving to Okinawa, which I'll be doing here soon. And being able to actually go to some of these new Japan shows um, oh, in so, Japan. Yeah, I'm, I'm so jealous. Dude, it's going to be great. I mean, you know, again, even though the pace is slower and some of the things are different, like, it's quality, quality wrestling. Yeah. Um, the co-main event was one of my favorite wrestlers, uh, Tetsuya Naito. Um, and he was he was wrestling Hiroshi Tanahashi. This was also this was also a rematch that occur- this was also a match that occurred on the January 4th Dome show Wrestle Kingdom and in that match uh, basically Tanahashi is like the best way to describe him would be like John Cena 
where he's just he is a baby face the crowd loves him and that's it like he, just kind of like gen- generic wrestler no, no he is he is far from generic but well right but i mean like john cena he's just kind of like he's generic white rapper wrestler like there's really not a whole lot of depth i don't think i, I mean i i get what i get what you're saying but like tanahashi is is nothing like that like he's tanahashi is super charismatic and just like a complete like the babyest of baby faces I mean, he will never turn heel. He will always be a face. He's just always, like, the perpetual good guy. Um, He wrestled, like I said, one of my favorite wrestlers, Tetsuya Naito. Um, Tetsuya Naito, I would kind of compare to, like, Stone Cold Steve Austin. Oh, yeah, baby. Hell yeah. Where he's essentially a heel, but he's so cool that people just love him. And at at the January 4th show... Uh, Naito had won, and he had symbolically, like, pounded a nail into Tanahashi's chest, basically, like, the final nail in his career. Oh, Oh, okay. (laughs) Not literally. All right. He he pounded a nail into his, like, he used his fist as, like, a hammer to pound a nail into his chest, like, saying, like, I'm putting the final nail in your coffin, like, this is the end of your career. And since then, uh, Naito has started, like, destroying the IWGP Intercontinental belt. Like, he slams it against the floor, throws it up in the air. The belt is, like, literally falling apart. Like, a a fourth of the faceplate doesn't stay on. (laughs) Um, One of the panels on the side is off. And, I mean, the belt just looks like shit. And he's talked about how much he hates the Intercontinental Championship and how, if he wins, it's going to go away. And, you know, Tanahashi just hearing... You know, and seeing like the disrespect that he shows the belt is just, you know, just really, really pisses him off. And so um, Tanahashi actually tore his bicep in his right arm about like six to eight weeks ago. So there was still even some question if he was going to be able to do this match. And he wrestled a very physical 26 minute match and ended up um, submitting Naito, which I was super surprised about. But yeah, he he submitted Naito. He became the new Intercontinental Champion, and the Intercontinental Belt lives to see another day. Um, well, that's good. I mean, I, I was thinking that maybe there would be like a resurgence of the equivalent of like the WWE Hardcore Belt, which was fantastic. <laughs> I loved the Hardcore oh, Belt. The Intercontinental Title does currently look like the Hardcore Belt, where it's like all fucked up and everything. But right, but but I mean, the moment that Pat Patterson yeah won the belt the hardcore belt and because somebody was taking a nap. I mean, that's just, that's great. Yeah. Um, one thing that I really enjoyed about this match was just, so Naito is walking down to the ring and when Naito, so on big shows, Naito, he wears kind of like a, a demon mask and he wears a suit and he kind of just slowly struts down to the ring and he, gets into the ring and he kind of waves his opponent off like you know let me take my suit off let me take my suit off and um it, it it's called tranquilo uh which is basically like his way of like kind of delaying mm-hmm. like tanahashi right. like i said who is like the most babyest of baby faces was having like none of naito's shit and he just rushed naito while he was still on the ramp and just started beating the shit out of him like on the ramp which is so like un-Tanahashi thing to do and it was 
Right. It was, I mean, but it just showed like that how important this belt was to Tanahashi that he was willing to like do things that he doesn't normally do. Um, but it was a is excellent match. Now, one match that I had like super high expectations for and was a little disappointed in um, was uh, Minoru Suzuki versus Haruki Goto for the open weight title. Which in Japan, in Japanese wrestling, there's very strict weight classes. There's heavyweight and then there's junior uh, heavyweight and um, but the never title is an open weight title, so there's no weight weight restrictions where it could be, you know, a junior heavyweight wrestling a heavyweight. Mm-hmm. Um, so you, it, but it's often kind of the defining aspect of the never open weight championship is it's kind of what's called a strong style title, where right. A lot of the the never titles are real strong style matches where it's just like beating the shit out of each other and <laughs> goto and suzuki had had a match just probably like two months ago i think where that's exactly what it was it was a real strong style match where they were just beating the hell out of each other and i don't know if maybe one of the two was hurt or something but it i didn't really get that like hardcore like strong style like it i mean they sure. definitely they definitely had aspects of strong style in this match, but just not as much as I was, I was hoping for. And, but, uh, Goto just got one thing that is very concerning to me about new Japan is how, uh, kind of blase blah they are about headshots. Mm. Whereas like WWE, you would never see a guy taking a unprotected chair shot. Um, right, right. In, in New Japan, they just don't have that same level of of concern. Well, but that, I mean, that's a bigger deal here with like the NFL limiting it, and you know everything but, else. Okay, and I I completely understand what you're saying. However, there is a wrestler named Katsuyori Shibata that will probably never wrestle again because he just <coughs> excuse me he just blasted a guy with a headbutt that sounded like somebody dropping a watermelon on a sidewalk it was jesus it was so gross and i just don't want to see that and like shibata was i mean like honestly if shibata had not gotten injured i imagine that it would probably would have been like suzuki versus shibata for this in this match and i mean like the fact that shibata might never wrestle again is it's because of a headbutt is just so sad to me but well but but wasn't there a recent press conference where they said like we're gonna take like measures to make sure that our wrestlers aren't getting concussions Uh, if if they did it certainly wasn't on display tonight with some of the stuff that happened (laughs) but basically basically this match ended with um uh one of so this was a lumberjack match so both guys had their their respective teams like surrounding the ring and one of one of Minoru Suzuki's lackeys, his name is Taichi. Taichi got in the ring and just absolutely annihilated Goto with a chair shot, and then uh, Suzuki hit his finishing move, and it was kind of that was kind of it. I mean, it was about a sixteen minute match, but it was really good. Now, well, go ahead. Sorry, no, no, no. Go ahead. If you're still talking New Japan, go ahead. Yeah, and well, what what I was gonna say is, so I'm going through the matches in reverse order. And I think one of the things that kind of hurt the Suzuki Goto match was the match that actually started before it, which was 
uh, Kushida versus Hiromu Takahashi. And, uh, like, so this was a junior heavyweight championship match. And usually the juniors are much more high-flying. There's, you know, a lot of... It's like the cruiserweights in WWE. I mean, yeah. they... Yeah, it's like the cruiserweights in WWE where, you know, it, it they wrestle a different style than, than the heavyweights. However, this match was strong style as fuck, and it made complete sense in the context of this match because Kushida is 0-2 against Hiromu Takahashi, and Takahashi is just a fucking asshole to Kushida. And I imagine that behind the scenes they are probably quite good friends, but in terms of like how they wrestle against each other, I just feel like they legitimately hate each other. Although I'm sure, sure. that that's probably not the case. But I mean, hey, you know what though? There are some legit feuds. Like oh. apparently, the like the Miz really hates John Cena. Uh, like yeah, I mean, I mean there are me. some there are some legit feuds. Yeah. So, but I mean, this this match was awesome and was just so it was so brutal and. There was a lot of like strong, like strong style esque things, which is why I said this match. Like I was not expecting a strong style match at all between these two, and that was what I got. And then when I was watching Suzuki and Goto directly after it, that's why I think that I was kind of, you know, let down because Kushida and Takahashi just beat the hell out of each other. Right, And it was only a 20-minute match. It felt a little longer than 20 minutes, but only because, uh, like, Omega, Okada, and Naito are, like, probably my three favorite wrestlers in all of New Japan. Kushida and Takahashi are four and five, so I was really, really psyched for this match, um, which is why I feel like it was probably was a longer match, because I was so invested in this match. Yeah, it... it kind of makes me think of the Seamus Cesaro uh what was the thing they did before the tag teamed oh the best like of seven. It, they went yeah they went like seven and seven or oh, they did a whatever. best of seven with eight oh yeah 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 they did a best of seven where it was where each guy was three three and one right so I mean um what else happened in Dominion or can we talk about WWE for a minute oh I mean it, it... Uh, I mean, yeah, we can we can talk about that. Uh, WWE. I mean, basically the so, rest I mean, of the basically the we're, rest we're, of Dominion's card. Sorry, was Cody Rhodes defeated Michael Elgin. Uh, Gorillas of Destiny, which is Tamatanga and Tongaroa, defeated War Machine, which for the IWGP Tag Team Championships. I was a little surprised that War Machine lost, considering that they have been getting like a huge push. Um, and then the Young Bucks, Nick and Matt Jackson, defeated Rapungi Vice to win the IWGP Junior Heavyweight Tag Team Championship. So, okay, since we're obviously just, like, diving into the wrestling roundup here, um, what are your opinions on Enzo and Cass? Because it seems like they're attacking each other backstage or something's going on. I think there's going to be there's speculation that Cass is going to heel turn. And I don't know what's going to happen to Enzo. Yeah, I, I really hope that's not the case because Cass... So Cass doesn't need Enzo to be successful. Enzo needs Cass to be successful. Well, but that being said, I think that Cass can't cut a promo to save his life. He is not good on the mic. And he, I think that that aspect, he needs Enzo. Well, uh, right, but how that being said, about a year ago, a little over a year ago, in fact, um, Enzo 
ha- got it like a pretty seriously concussed in a match. And so Enzo was out for, I don't know, I think at least a month. And in that time, Cass was getting like, he he wrestled, if I remember correctly, he wrestled Kevin O. Uh, no, sorry, not Kevin Owens. I don't remember who the champion was at the time, but he actually was like in a a, a world title match. Like he, he Cass is fine by himself. I mean, he's able to he sure. he's able to talk. I mean, he's huge. Yeah, yeah. He's over seven feet tall, and he can't, can't teach, teach that. that. Yeah, exactly. But I mean, yeah. Like I said, I, I just think, I think Cass without Enzo is going to be fine. Enzo without Cass is in a lot of trouble. Yeah, like I think that Enzo without Cass is going to end up having to be some kind of like manager type. Yeah. Yeah. Like hype man. Yeah. But um so there's that going on right now. There's The Miz beating Ambrose for the Intercontinental title, which I am fucking hot about. Yeah, I know. I, did I know not that like you're that bummed match. about that, but I'm so happy cuz I love The Miz. I fucking hate it. I hate The Miz. Fuck The Miz because he can't win a match without his wife. Yeah. But you know what? When he does lose, it's just going to be all the sweeter. Like, that's how you know a heel is doing their job when you're just like, that son of a bitch. I can't wait for them to lose. Well, I hope the rematch goes as well for Ambrose. Um, I I hope he gets the title back. But uh, also we have Money in the Bank coming up and the first ever women's Money in the Bank, which is going to be kind of neat. Yeah, um, Money in the Bank is actually going to be kind of in my neighborhood, too. It's going to be in St. Louis. I live in Kansas City. and mm. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, I wish I had a like a little foot pedal cough uh, mute button or whatever. <laughs> uh, right. I kind of wish I was going to the show now. I, I had a... I know somebody who's going, and when he bought tickets, he said, hey, do you want me to buy you a ticket? And I was just like, nah, fuck that. It's fine. Um kind of wish i was going now because i really um i really would love to see that women's match and while i don't think that nakamura is going to win the money in the bank match um, no. i really am hoping that he wins the money in the bank i mean it wouldn't surprise me if they put him over because they've been trying to i mean has he lost a match since he started coming in I mean, like on NXT as well, or just well, no, no, no. I'm just talking about uh, Raw or SmackDown, rather. Uh, I don't like. I, I don't think he's lost a match. Yeah, I, I don't think, uh, nor should he. But um, yeah, I don't think he's lost a match. But uh, honestly, um, kind of the the common consensus that I've seen, anyways, is that people think Baron Corbin is going to win. And as a Kansas City Fuck Baron Corbin, yeah. I just don't like him. Yeah, as a Kansas City resident, I am so fucking irritated that our one representation in pro wrestling right now is Baron Motherfucking Corbin. Yeah, he's not good. And I said on a previous podcast that one day he's going to be good. I just I don't know if I believe that anymore because his matches lately have been terrible. Yeah. Uh. Yeah. I mean. That was when we were, I, and in fact, it's funny that you say that because I had just listened to our WrestleMania recap, I don't know, like about two or three weeks ago. And I remember you, and I heard the part where you're like, I think Baron Corbin will be good one day. And I just responded, today was not that day. And no, I don't think, I don't think tomorrow's going to be that day either. No, I mean, maybe in, maybe in like five years or whatever, he'll be fine. But I, I'm just, I'm so over Baron Corbin. And the, the shitty thing is, so of course, every time they come to Kansas City, 
He's got to have a match to get that hometown pop. And right. the first time I ever saw Baron Corbin was at a, a house show. And he was wrestling Finn Balor, who he was wrestling Finn Balor. And the crowd did really didn't know who Finn Balor was. And so they didn't realize that Finn Balor was a baby face. So all of a sudden they just hear, and from Kansas City, and they just like went ape shit for Baron Corbin and Ugh. and were like booing Balor. And I was like, what the fuck are you doing, people? This is terrible. <laughs> Um, what else we got going on right now? We got uh, Kevin Owens putting the title on the line. Is that yeah? Is that right? He's re- I believe he's wrestling Nakamura for the title. Nakamura for the title, which is interesting because you've got a Canadian and a Japanese person wrestling for the United States yeah. title. And you know, I'm tired of the whole new face of America thing. I mean, it was fun for a minute, but he's just uh, Kevin Owens is such a jackass now. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's his. That, you know that's his uh that's his character yeah let's see we've got a uh, ginger mahal versus randy orton for a rematch of the wwe oh championship and 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 ginger mahal i mean understand why wwe did it they're trying to appeal to a new market but i just don't feel like i feel like it was really forced because just at wrestlemania not that long ago he was getting his ass kicked yeah uh, in the men's Money in the Bank match, we've got KO versus AJ versus Corbin versus Zayn versus Ziggler versus Nakamura. Um, oh, the, okay, this isn't, this is, I, I'm just, I pulled it up on Wikipedia. Um, Usos versus The New Day, this is like the, gonna be The New Day's first, uh, SmackDown match, so that's, right. that's cool. Um, we've got the women's tag match, or the women's Money in the Bank match, which is gonna be Becky Lynn, Charlotte. Natalia, Tamina, Carmella, with James Ellsworth. Do you think right. James Ellsworth is getting involved in that match? I hope so. I love James Ellsworth. I don't care what anybody says. I own I own his shirt. I I like I really like James Ellsworth, even if he never wrestles another minute in his life. Yeah. I, I what I'm really hoping um, at Money in the Bank 2009, which is the one that I went to because it was in Kansas City. There was this spot where, um. Maurice, who's the Miz's wife, at the time she was with a, a wrestler named Teddy, um, oh my god, he's the fucking million man, dollar man, uh, Ted DiBiase. Uh, DiBiase, yeah, 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 Teddy DiBiase, um, and at one point during the match, like, all the guys were down, and, like, Maurice just took off her shoes and started trying to climb up the ladder to get the briefcase, <laughs> and I think, like, Big Show or something, whatever, like, comes and like gently pulls her off the ladder and like just sets her down on the the ground and just kind of like pats her on the back and like just tells her to get the (laughs) fuck out of the ring um but what i'm really hoping is that like ellsworth's like fingers will be on the briefcase and then all the women minus carmella just come in and just like tip the ladder over and then just watch ellsworth just eat shit like yeah if we get that i'll be super happy yeah i mean i just want to see becky lynch win something after being kind of cast aside for a while. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then last but not least, we've got Naomi versus Lana. And I mean, I don't think that there's any, no. I, I don't think that there's any like discussion on this match. You know, like Naomi's just going to hopefully destroy. Um, I think I said Lena. What I really meant was Lana, who's Rusev's wife. 
Yeah, I just, I don't see why she came back when she did. It And the whole thing with her going for the championship just seems super forced, and I'm not a fan. Yeah. Well, anyways. But that that being said, that being said, I, I think that this pay-per-view will be better than the last one. Because uh, the last one was not very good. Yeah, I didn't want I didn't watch it outside of the five man. No, there was no point. I mean, th- what was it? Uh, payback. Uh, it was Extreme Rules. Extreme Rules. That's right. With the Hardys losing, and yeah, I just didn't think it was that good. Yeah, yeah. The the Bailey Alexa Bliss match was five minutes of crap. I mean, yeah, it was. I I I know that I had told you not to spoil things for me. <laughs> Because I remember you were texting me during the show. I think I was playing Dungeons and Dragons or some nerd shit like that. And I was just like, shut up. I haven't watched the match yet. Well, I ended up just kind of like seeing what the reviews were to see if I was if I even wanted to bother watching it. And pretty much universally, everything I heard was. Watch the five way match and that's fucking it. And so that's yeah. literally the only match I've watched. Yeah, it was it was terrible. I mean, the Miz and Ambrose match was entertaining just on the basis that the Miz kept trying to get Ambrose disqualified. And I don't I don't know when like Ambrose become like became like Mr. I'm gonna get disqualified, but uh it was a little bit weird. But yeah. it was still entertaining. Yeah. Even though I fucking hate the Miz. Yeah. But But we are at two hours so. now. Yeah, yeah, we're gonna wrap this up. Yeah. So, uh, if you kept listening, thank you for listening to our wrestling bullshit. But I hope you enjoyed the actual Peep Show episode. And like we said, we will be back next week with Jez Makes It, which is an amazing episode. Yeah, one of my favorites. All right, have a good night, guys. All right, take care, everybody. <laughs>